Hey, everybody, you're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about mentors and the people that influenced us growing up throughout our lives. Whether they know it or not, these are people that helped lay down the bricks that paved the way for who we were to become in life. Some of the people that helped shaped us, uh, shape us were family members, friends, and even people we've never spoken to. Um, Marty, did you have key mentors and influencers, or did you just kind of sponge information off as many people as you could growing up? Well, I tell you what, I I got to pass the ball to Jim because okay. this was this was him his idea, which I loved this old idea about mentors. But this kind of sprang from Jim. So, what do you think, JP? We let him. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. It's a good one. This is very important mentors and the people who influence influence. So also, I'd be curious as to Jim's definition of a mentor. Is that something that we could we had to be in contact with them personally? Do we have to know them? Do we? I don't know. So go ahead, Jimmy. What's your? Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I in this article which is coming out next week, I did list some people that were mentors of mine from far away, and, and Marty. Uh, you were writing about it in an email the other day about Bob Ward and Randy White. Yeah. And I mean, I, although I became friends with Randy and we used to talk to Dr. Ward on the phone, I never actually met them in person or sat down with them. But uh, yeah, so they don't, in my mind, these people that had such a huge influence on your life can be people that you've never really even met before. Well, well who was like your, who would be like an early, like a kid influence? Is there an, oh, maybe what, Schwarzenegger in a movie, maybe something? Yeah, I was a big Arnold guy, but the face-to-face -face thing is what happened was we were in seventh grade gym class, and we were on one of those old Universal machines. Yeah. And, you know, I was a pretty big kid. You know, I'm hell, I probably stopped growing in, like, ninth grade, so I was, I was pretty big. I was pretty thick. And this, and this guy comes in who's smaller than me. You know, he's in my gym class, and he, I benched 120 on it, and he did, like, 165, and he was 30 pounds less than me. And he had some biceps and chest. And I was like, what the hell, man? It really pissed me off. But I was also really fascinated with uh, ah. how, he, how he developed that. Wasn't and, that what happened? Did you, did you follow him up? or? Yeah. So he brought me in two muscle magazines. I remember the ones. It was Tom Platt's on the cover oh, yeah. of Muscle Up magazine. And it was all black and white. And then the other one was Muscle Mag International with uh, Menser on the cover. On the cover. And so I read all that stuff and he said, man, Jimmy, why don't you come home with me? And he lived Marty like district Heights, like uh, DC yeah. line, you know, yeah. one of those big uh, low income housing places. Mm -hmm. And, but he was fortunate enough to have a boys club next door where there were these older guys who made it their, made it uh, their life's ambition or was their life's ambition to help these kids lift weights and box and all that stuff. And so Davril was one of those kids. And I'd be hanging out there myself if I were you. <laughs> yeah. And so I, he took me in and those guys were so cool to me. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they were, they were, now it wasn't any squats going on. It was right. all benches and curls and benches and curls. Yeah, sure. But, but it just impressed upon me. The atmosphere was so cool. Like everybody was like, yeah, man, you got this. And, you know, I remember just a guy, you know, just pumping out 135 for like 50 reps. That's what they like to do. You know, that, that pump, but they, they showed me how to do bench and curls. And I remember walking out with Davril and I was like, man, my muscles feel weird, dude. Like, 
there's all this stuff in him and stuff. And he was like, that's the pump, Jimmy. That's Wasn't that pump. magical back then? What's that? Wasn't that magical back then? Everything was new. Yeah. You know, you had no yeah. boundaries. You had no limits. My it was son, all fresh. My son was, yeah. just started playing football. And he said, man, I love the smell of this, the pads and the helmet and all that stuff. And I thought, I love that. And then the gym thing, that turned the smell of a good gym. Um, atmosphere and aura and all that stuff is just it appealed to me right away man yeah planking and the iron and you know and then you you feel differently and you look differently you get up the next morning and my dad's like how come you can't lift the the orange juice up <laughs> like my bicep was sore <laughs> you know so he so he got me started um <laughs> and then there's tons of more people along the way which i'm sure we'll talk about but yeah davril nash and you know i got a lot bigger than than him right away, but he was always a great training partner and, and all that stuff. A big influence on me. I'll, I'll tell a quick story on myself. So let's see, I guess I was in eighth grade and the uh, fastest guy in the county um, was a guy named Calvin and he was extremely fast. And so in between, uh, he had won the hundred, we had the hundred yards, we didn't have the hundred meter back then. So he'd won the, hundred and I think he'd posted like I don't know the fourth fastest time in the country that year in eighth grade right wow so uh afterwards we were on the infield and we're talking and he knew me and I knew him and at the time I'm like 180 170 and I think he's like 180 but he's natural he's got that Jim Brown kind of physique right so I said, uh, well, you know, what are we doing here? And he goes, oh, yeah. I said, my press is going great, man. He said, I did 185 for 10. I went, what? <laughs> what? So at the time, my best press was, uh, and I worked the hell out of it. It was like 165 for 10, which was good, right? I said, that is good. 10. So I went away all year. And as a senior, I pressed 200 for 10, right? So the, at the track meet that year, now he, he crushed again at, as a senior, as a, you know, in the ninth grade. So we went up and we were talking and I was talking to one of his training partners. I said, yeah, I said, when uh, Calvin told me last year that he did 185 for 10, I got so fired up. He said 185 for 10. He said he couldn't do it for two. Oh. That was the greatest stimulating lie of all time. I was the placebo effect. I was so grateful for that. <laughs> he couldn't do it for two. <laughs> <laughs> he said he lies to his teeth. He couldn't do it for two, Marty. Oh, that's great, <laughs> Marty, that's what sculpted you, man. That was the best thing that ever happened to you. That's what I'm saying. Right, there's there's little kind of incidents that, that just get you fired up, right? And, and yeah. you want to get after uh, who's in front of you. If you're an athlete, it's like, okay, who's you know who's in front of me here? What you know? Let's put a target on them. Yeah, yeah. What are they doing that makes them better than me? Now, you know, I didn't have that speed. That's inherent. You know, when you weigh 185 pounds and as a you know. 15 year old can run a what a four eight forty right it's good genetics you know yeah exactly and it wasn't anything other than just wow you know exactly great great genetics well that could be um, another another uh podcast man that 
how we how many times has somebody said man that guy's really strong he does 500 or whatever and end up being like 455 with his ass off the bench you know what i mean it's oh the other way yeah 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 the other way yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. we had that with a football coach we had that with a football coach this guy was maybe five feet high weighed uh maybe 150 and he was always bragging that he could bench 225 uh-huh. so finally we pinned him down and got him under 225 and it almost killed him i mean <laughs> it came down and, and just you know his feet were flailing in the air and and we had to rush over and and uh take the weight off of him but yeah. uh, i you know i felt bad for him because he was like the whole gym the whole football team was watching him but i don't know why he was going around saying that i mean he probably weighed 150 and maybe was five feet high and that would have been a good bench 225 but man it that it just about killed him so <laughs> I would, I would say my first real mentor was a, a guy named Glenn Middleton. I had, uh, I was a, a good teenage Olympic weightlifter and Middleton was an interesting character. He was an uh, official with the, uh, <clears throat> DCAAU, the district of Columbia amateur athletic union. And he was a high ranking official who wore the, you know, the blue blazer and the, you know, had the, travel badges. Um, he's a big guy. I don't know, 6'3", 260. Um, and he was an engineer for Bechtel. <clears throat> they had a big job and he was a smart dude. And Bechtel had just opened a major office in Gaithersburg, Maryland. So he was in suburban Washington, D.C. And he would see me at the, we had high school competitions, he would officiate. We had uh, DCAAU senior men's competitions, I would enter, he would officiate. So he, he started hooking me up, like he was the first guy to introduce me to Hugh Cassidy. Although I should say, actually, Cassidy introduced himself to me at, I competed at the DCAAU, I think it was their first powerlift meet in 1968. Cassidy came up to me and said, I dig your squat style, kid. What a compliment, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now, well, did you I, know who he was? Did you know who oh, he was? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. He was the he was the big dog. Him and I would say him and Mickey Collins were probably the leading strength guys on the scene. And right. through Middleton, man, I mean, I moved up. I got introduced into the ranks of grown men. And these guys would go on road trips to York, Pennsylvania for the Senior National uh, Olympic Lift and Powerlifting Championships. And they'd go for the weekend. And so we'd leave on a Friday. And they'd, they'd have a caravan of cars. Yeah. Like four or five cars. With like going lift- to Mecca with lifters and everybody would have pre-bought a ticket and you go to i think it was york high school and had a beautiful auditorium and so you know by the time i was 17 i'm sitting in the third row of the national powerlifting championships with hugh cassidy <laughs> he's got his cooler with him right <laughs> which he carried a cooler he was trying to push his weight up from 242 to super heavyweight so everywhere he went he carried it picnic cooler with them stuffed full of food yeah so uh yeah i sat next to cassidy we watched george friend win best lifter we you know then Hugh said come on kid and he took me backstage we walked backstage talked to peanuts west talked to john tanner i'm just uh i'm just a kid right i didn't train with you then i I got 
uh, invited to his house. I, Hugh had the first Smith machine I ever saw. Did he make it or did he buy it? No, that? he bought it. He bought okay. it. And I'm, we remember at the time um, I was uh, naive enough to ask, wait to pay for that, right? Which, you know, an adult would never do. And he said, right. $400. I said, I said, wow. Oh, man, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a great now. deal. And he that's said, That's a lot of money back then, though. I, I know. And, and he said, I saved it on booze and cigarettes, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Blue chip stamps. <laughs> no, he said booze and cigarettes. I don't smoke booze. I don't smoke. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't drink booze. I get the four hundred dollar Smith. Yeah, no, he's got a point. Yeah. Did so, uh, how, wait a minute? Let me ask. I didn't, I didn't try, but, but then Middleton was also wired in the Olympic lifting scene, so I got oh, he he had a an um, Bechtel is an Iranian firm, and they. They had a, a great Iranian Olympic lifter named Artishan Bagapur. And he was stationed at Bechtel in Gaithersburg. So he had Artishan Bagapur, Middleton, train with me in my basement. Really? Yeah. So I got a guy who was a former member of the Iranian Olympic team. Yeah. And he's training in our basement with me and my, you know, my, my high school buddies. And um, we got real good. Marty, you were like 15 at the time, 16? Well, this would have been, uh, I would have met Middleton when I was, say, 14. And wow. up until maybe mm, 19, I split. I, I, I took off. I moved to Oregon right after high school and, you know, hit the road. I was like Jack Kerouac on the road. But this is, this is truly where all your Forrest Gump starts. You know, your, your stuff starts right there yeah. with Cassidy. It, well, also with Middleton and falling in with these with these grown men, we used to train at Gonzaga High School on yeah. Saturday, and in Washington D.C. and all the, the the big guys would show up, and I'd have my I have good training partners. We'd get a car full of training partners. We'd head down and we'd train at Gonzaga on Saturday with the Olympic lifters, and these these were the best in the area. And then, uh, as a senior in high school, they had the DC AAU national uh, championships there. And they brought in Bob Bednarski, Bill March, and Ernie Pickett to lift. And Which star, one was this? And star. Which one lift. said, how do I look, kid? Oh, that was Bednarski, man. <laughs> Bednarski, okay. He was my idol from afar. See, I, I knew Star, I knew Suggs from their writing. They were great writers. Bednarski was an idol. <clears throat> he was like Elvis. Right. right. He was the Elvis of power of the uh, Olympic lifting. And, and here they were, and they were at their peak. And at this meet, Bednarski sets his first world record. Wow. Wow. At my high school. And I'm backstage with him. He comes, <laughs> he comes out, and I'm backstage because I'm helping. So Brother Dixon, who was running things, he says, help him out, buddy. Whatever they need. Cokes, get them whatever they need. So I go, hey, you need a Coke? I say, yeah, bring me some Cokes, kids. So I got, I was back with all the, and March looked great. He was about 220. And, like strict pressing 390 <clears throat> right wow yeah and star looked really good i don't think he was lifting Pickett was gigantic Pickett was like six foot four and 300 but very athletic looking uh ernie had actually set the world record in chicago with 446 which was extremely surprising he had not been a great lifter up until that point he came out of nowhere 
he broke, uh, I think Shabatinsky held the world record at 440, 200 kilos. Pickett came along, did 446, like in February. Now, this is April. In April, here comes Bednarski. Boom, he hits 451 at my meet. Then two In the press? Yes. God almighty. I know. And he's weighing 250. So I, he's coming backstage, and I'm like shaking in my boots every time he walks by. I mean, you know, and, and I, I look at him and I say, what do you weigh, Bob? He goes, 250. How do I look, kid? <laughs> <laughs> you were like, you look great, man. Oh, I would have had sex with him if he wanted. You know? <laughs> that <laughs> and then two months later he has his greatest lifting ever at the york auditorium and he presses 456 then he cleans and jerks 486 to break the world record in the clean and jerk and this happens at the exact time that there's a an electrical storm and a thunderbolt hits when he spikes the jerk and the auditorium is packed with like, I don't know, 3,500 people. I'm, I'm in the fourth row. It's wow. like being at a Beagle concert. It's like Hendrix, man. Yeah, right? And I see this and I'm losing my mind, right? So, but that's the kind of experiences that I had very early on. Then when I finally did get together with Cassidy, which was a few years later, at the same time, I'm, and that's when I, that's when we went to the basement. That's when I started training in his basement with him under his direction, using his strategies and techniques. At the same time, um, mentoring under a guy named Robert Smith. Yes, that's the guy who's most interesting to me. Who is the king of Chinese martial yeah. internal arts. The breathing stuff is... At the same time. So I've got the hardest of the hard and the hardest, softest of the soft. They're both cool dudes. Smith was a very, very cool guy. He was a CIA agent. How did he? How did you hook up with him? He, he was such a, a good guy that he gave free lessons in the park every Saturday morning at seven o'clock at yeah. Tai Chi. That okay. Was, you know, in that culture, giving back is a very big. We give back to the yeah. community. So I started yeah. with that, and from that the. The other internal arts are Bagua and Xing Yi, which are more forceful, yeah. uh, more aggressive. And we would do those on Thursday nights at Pachotsky's Dance Studio in Bethesda. And I'd have to pay for those, and those were $5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't making a killing, that's for sure. No, nah, well, he was still working for the agency. He, he was in Langley. He had been in Formosa, or, well uh and he spoke chinese and uh that's actually where he did his heavy research he was a great writer he did uh, the definitive asian fighting asian martial fighting arts uh he did uh, masters and methods of chinese boxing uh, and this is just an, on your street in wheaton oh well i had to get in my car and drive two miles okay two miles away from you <laughs> yeah, to, to uh, Bethesda and yeah. and uh, but yeah so and they neither one dissed the other they were like oh that's the opposite of what we do but they didn't go oh no you shouldn't do that that's horrible right. right and they sort of spoke to each other through me and it was a lot of the same like when Smith talked about root 
root, 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 sink, sink, you know, uh, you know, breathe into your heels, that kind of stuff. Well, that was almost the same stuff. Catherine yeah. was telling me in the squat and the deadlift. Yes. In terms of where do you apply your pressure? Yes. Right. So there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of cross truths between yeah. the two. And I stayed with each of them for five years. I mean, you know. That we, was the foundation, man. That yeah, was we did foundation. our work. It wasn't like we were there for, for, you know, two weeks. Yeah, mentally and physical. What a great, physically, what a great foundation to have those guys as your mentors. And they both wrote like angels after three bourbons. Both of them were great yeah. writers. Yeah, they were smart, smart guys, too. You were being mentored three ways by them. Uh, one, Robert Smith for the martial arts, Hugh Cassidy for lifting, and then both of them for writing. That's how you developed your writing in their early days. Is that right? Exactly. My first ever articles published were with Hugh in 1978 in Powerlifting Magazine. He co-authored, I think, three articles with me. Wow. And that was the start of my writing career. Did he say to you, hey, Marty, you've got a natural knack for this writing? Uh, because I, I would think that you did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, he said, he said, you can be great, kid. But, he, but you also <laughs> said he was very tough on you. Yeah. Yeah. Said, oh, yeah, yeah now, yeah. wait, was he as tough as the time that you wrote me back and said, stop writing like a prepubescent little child? Or <laughs> What? <laughs> oh, I sent Marty stuff and he was like, stop writing like a prepubescent child this was before you guys knew each other no no i would just this write is now sometimes he would say yeah, yeah. sometimes right, he would right say now that, right now yeah he would say that's I very say good and then say that's okay and then sometimes you know you're writing like a like a prepubescent <laughs> i'm like he's and, right. if, and if you were he's here right. I would, if you were here i would slap your face yeah that's right like that <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead so I'm jim sorry. What was the question? It was about you being. <laughs> I don't know. About, about you writing. You're writing you, for. You being where tough. where uh, would you guys yeah, write? Where would you guys sit down and write, Marty? Was it in well, the dungeon? Or was it. No, we'd uh, pass it back and forth. I'd, I'd get it going. And uh, we did some pieces where we were. Oh, you set up a training situation where you'd have a fictional character and we'd put him in motion and uh, maybe he was doing something wrong in the squat and. Uh, a good coach came along and pointed out how to correct it. Okay. And so we were able to get it kind of a narrative going. Everybody wanted to be like John McCallum, where you, you created characters and then you set them in motion. Right. Instead of just being like a textbook. Well, to, you know, you know, you know what I mean? It's, I love uh, that style, man. I've, I've used that style too. I love that style. Uh, he was adept at it. And I, I was, had always been a, a reader and you know we we read Hemingway and Jack London and uh Turgenev and yeah. Gogol and um, as part of our growing up I mean that wasn't anything weird it was just you know that was that was part of our literary curriculum so wow. by the time we got to and coming from an Irish background, I heard a lot of good storytellers, brother. Let me tell you, after a few drinks, let me tell you, I heard a lot of guys <laughs> who could really spin a yarn. And, and that's the other part of being a good writer. Right. You know, you, you got to be able to tell a story. And you got to be able to see a story in things where other, other people can't. Yes. In situations. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but those, were, those were the real 
real guy mentors. Um, you know, in a way, I felt that Mark Chalet was a bit of a mentor, but we were like brothers. You know, we were, it was more of an equal thing, right? Yeah. Uh, a mentor, I think the uh, last mentor I probably had was probably uh, Len Schwartz, the doctor. Mm -hmm. Heavy hands. Heavy hands. He was a very interesting dude. Medical doctor, psychiatrist, sports scientist at University of Pittsburgh lab. And he just approached everything. Oh, also, he was a great classical musician, had a beautiful Steinway piano in, his, in the entryway of his house. He lived right across from Art Rooney, who owned the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. In old, old Pittsburgh. Um, and he played incredible nylon string flamingo guitar. And when I met him, he was like 75 years old. And he just you thought he was old back then, didn't you? Yeah, great fitness. Oh, he he incredible physical capabilities. He would yeah. pick up his light weights and he could go forever. He was like the Energizer Bunny with his little hand weights, but it sculpted him and changed him, and it actually gave him a lot of the hybrid super muscle that I later heard. Well, probably around a little bit later heard Ori Hoffman or also. Ori talked about it too from a totally different direction. This idea of a certain type of combination of resistance training and cardio, sort of the meaning between the two creates a hybrid super muscle, a third type, neither mm. fast twitch nor slow twitch, but possessing the best characteristics of both the ability to have duration and the ability to burst. So, those were very interesting. I would say Ori was a mentor too, because I had never encountered anybody with as radical dietary ideas yeah. as he had. And I, I looked it up. I got interested again, and I sent JP another article on it. But uh, I looked up the copyright in the, the Warrior Diets 2000. All of a sudden, it's like, man, that was 21 years ago. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it seems like it was yesterday. Um, but yeah, I would I would say Ori was a mentor. Yeah, for sure. Diet, I guess a dietary mentor. Right. Now, did now Marty, you play the piano, right? Correct. So, did you have a piano mentor? Uh, yeah, from afar, for sure. Always, I think you have all you got literary mentors. Uh, piano, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, but you don't. I don't get to hang out with Keith Jarrett. You know what I mean? Like I got mm -hmm. to hang out with uh, Glenn Schwartz. I got to hang out with, uh, you know, Bob Smith. I, I don't get to hang out with Keith Jarrett. I'd like to. Yeah. Um, so you've got, I mean, the the places you've been and the stories you've told and that whole, uh, you know, Forrest Gump series that we've done, I mean, I'm sure you have more mentors than this. Certainly influencers. You have a lot of people that influenced you from just all angles of life, whether it's yeah. musical or lifting or writing or whatever. Yeah, but some great guys with great capacities and capabilities. But to me, a mentor is um, someone who completely full blown out of their own head. They don't really have a predecessor. There was nobody before Cassidy. There was really nobody before Bob Smith. There was nobody before Lynn. They didn't get handed off. Like, I feel like I stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. right? Like, mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been handed a system. 
nobody handed there was no system when you yeah. showed up and that's the toughest thing to be the first yeah that's the toughest one because you don't know you know it's just like you know after somebody ran the four minute mile or after somebody uh you know clean and jerk 500 man that's the toughest nobody, after that, in, nobody said it uh, intermittent fasting before Ori Hoffman right. showed up right nobody's done it better he's like the Coltrane of intermittent fasting and and when I see it watered down and diluted well he must be ready to, to lose his mind but I went yeah. back and, and reviewed his scriptures his tenants man he's tough man I mean yeah he, he wants everything organic and you get one meal a day now it can be a, an extended meal Right. But it's one meal, brother, and it's not a four-hour window or a six-hour window or an eight-hour window. It's one meal. And uh, that, again, that's from full-blown out of his head from nowhere. And that, to me, is a mentor. When I, when I train with a great guy like Chalet or I meet a guy like Kendo or, you know, and the other interesting brad you know i know kirk you know I, I, a lot of world champion best in the world guys but i think that that's different right jim yeah and, and these guys all seem to be originals there was nobody yeah, really that's what he's saying yeah. for them yeah 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 how does that or you know or got his whole intermittent fasting right out of thin air man yeah how does he come up with that i know i mean but they're innovators. They're smart guys. He was yeah. a he was a, a a military historian. In addition to being one of the world's great satirical artists, he was a military historian. He was fascinated with the Greek rowers and yeah. the Greek row, right. rowers of around I don't know uh, 480 BC and the Roman soldiers in around 500 AD. So because the soldiers on average weighed 150 pounds and carried 33 pounds of armor and weaponry with every step they took, every charge, every battle. Uh, and he said this thing of carrying this weight and then having to, to use it, to fling it. I mean, you, you wield a sword, you wield a spear, you know what I mean? And there are no timeouts or no injury substitutions in you know, a battle with berserker Vikings high on <laughs> mushrooms. All right. You know, it could go for, it could go all day. It could go for days. And it's life or death. And, you know, he, or he said they built a certain type of muscle fiber. The rowers of the Triune ships, which had, um, I think it was 187 total rowers, like 83 guys per side. They set distance and speed records that have never been equal for ships of, of their type. And yeah, again, even by Olympic small, rowers. Small, yeah. And these are small guys, but they were super <clears throat> fit and, and they were trained in both the ability to go long as they would if they're going for a long duration. Like, all right, guys, we've got a road from here to uh, across the Mediterranean to Africa. Okay, well, they get into a certain pace and a rhythm for that. Oh, oh, but when they go into battle, then they have to go up to top speed. They have to ram people with their sharp copper prow they have, right? So, and I already said, how do they get that hybrid muscle? 
uh, what did they do? So he devised this training system where he took small weights and did them for extended periods. Then he went, I have to have a nutritional system that complements that. Now, what kind of diet did these guys have? Well, one thing they had is they all ate organic. Right. Well, there wasn't anything else. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's all they had. Right. And they also ate sporadically because of the nature of their jobs. They were soldiers and sailors. They didn't get to sit down and eat three meals a day. Right. Can you imagine? I mean, how many how many hours were these guys rowing for? I mean, just hours at a time sometimes, yeah. right? But they were they were grateful. They were not beaten slaves. They were free men because they got a cut of the loot. They were rewarded for doing yeah, this. Rowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had tryouts. Yeah, yeah. They this was a, a lucrative position if you could hang. Right. Right. Yeah, and, how do you train for that job? Oh my God. Uh, you rub, just bro. Think how many years. Think how many years people actually ate like that, and it wasn't just the soldiers. No. You hunt all day. Yeah. Then you prepare the meat, which takes if, forever. If you and then, if you at the it. end of the day, when all the work is done, you sit down and eat. And that was probably. I mean, how many thousands of years was that the case? And, yeah. Exactly. And no one's eating burritos. No. It's 7-Eleven. <laughs> it's too important. <laughs> you know, and there are, no, there are no cheat days. No, man. <laughs> Just, oh, my God. I found some food. <laughs> yeah. So, Ori, again, Ori would definitely be a, a nutritional mentor. And I follow his stuff. Now, I don't do it with the strictness that he does, although I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work toward that. Yeah. Right. Well, right. you know what Ori did? He, he gave us permission that that was okay. Yeah. And when we tried it, you know, cause he always thought, Oh my God, you're going to lose all your muscle. Oh. If you don't eat three, right. at least three or four meals. And it's right. got to have this right. in it and that right. in it. Right. And then when you did it, you found, Jimmy, you found you lost body fat. Jimmy, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Right. How many times we heard that pushed by the industry. Correct. But he said it, he come on with his, great accent he goes marty breakfast is the worst meal of the day yeah what's <laughs> what's already think about the food pyramid yeah sure. oh my god well you know if you think about how you're supposed to look so i i love like being bigger than i'm supposed to be and and uh, you know when you see like some huge dude you're like whoa man but we're probably not supposed to look like that you're probably right. supposed to look like you ate you you marched or rucked or hunted all day and then you had that meal at the well, end of the day and that well, would keep you muscular and lean yeah and ori made the great point and you're making the great point he said he said there's a difference between the athletic archetype and the military archetype right and athletically you get to be a specialist oh i'm a defensive back right right Okay. Well, life is you, not specialty. Do yes. all the do all the things that will make you a better defensive back. Okay, great. Oh, I'm a, I'm an incredible power forward. Okay, well, you know, do that stuff. Well, in the military, you have to be a jack of all trades. You have to be able to run, jump, jump out of a plane, swim underwater. You know, uh, routinely uh, hike uh, what eight to ten kilometers carrying 40 to 80 pounds of stuff over a mountain before they sneak up on a village uh, you got to be able to sprint in a firefight carrying your your gear um, yeah so the military archetype is totally different and that's the important point that Ori made and his eating is based on that same idea 
with yeah. athletes. Again, we're systematized. We have plenty of time to train. We have plenty of time to practice. We have plenty of time to eat, right? Uh, you know, and, and we're specializing. Uh, military, nah, we got to have that roll out of bed strength. We yeah. have to be able to go and be strong. We have to be able to exist on very little. Uh, we're going to tend towards sparseness. We're, you know, not overconsumption. Right. I don't think they're going to be doing six meals a day. No. <laughs> no offense, JP. <laughs> oh, you caught me. Um, <laughs> rice right now, Marty. <laughs> yeah, he hey, hey, but let me ask you something. Swinging back to, to mentors and uh, people who influenced us, what about family members? None of these people that we've mentioned are family oh, members. Oh, man, my so. father was and still is. Yeah. You know, my life mentor, I thought we were just talking about, but I mean, he's a, uh, so my father's never had a drink, never heard him cuss. He was home yeah. every day at five yeah. o'clock. Yeah. I went opposite. I went opposite of that, but he said, he said a great uh, example for sure, man. Just, yeah, I remember being at his retirement, uh, you know, uh, you know, dinner and all his former students. Oh, you changed my life, blah, blah, the best thing. And I was like, I've done nothing. I've done, I remember sitting there thinking, I am nothing. I've done nothing. I mean, they brought his his chair from his office in there. And I mean, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Well, I don't believe that he had you as a son and never cussed. You, you, He cussed, but you just didn't hear it. Now, you know when I heard it? The muffler went out on our uh, Chevy. <laughs> the muffler went out on our Chevy on the way to North Carolina one time. And I thought it was so cool. I was probably like seven. And I thought it was sounded like a race car. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was, you know, back then you didn't have cell phones. You didn't have a service station, yeah. you know, on 85 going to North, going to Raleigh. Or you, you didn't have anything. You couldn't stop to get gas or help. And he was getting more, more worried and more worried about that muffler. And I was going, man, Richard Petty, man, match, man. And then my sister was like, shut up. And she's pushing me and I'm pushing her. And he said, shut up, God damn it. Only time I ever heard him cuss. Only time I heard him cuss. And listen. It was quiet for like 20 minutes afterwards. And my mom turned around and said, now, you know, your father must have been very upset to say those words. And my sister and I, our mouths were still open. Oh, yeah. That was shock and awe for you guys. Never heard him cuss again. That's the way to do it. That's yeah. the way to do it. If, if my brother had been there, he would have gone, you're going to hell, Dad. <laughs> yeah, but he's a huge man. my father was the same way my father did not cuss it's that world war ii the guys who went through i don't know for some reason I, I did not hear my father i heard him say the f word twice in my isn't that life. something my grandfathers were the same way there was something about that generation yeah, was, uh, you know it was it I, think wasn't classy. Called, I think it's called morals and it wasn't classy. Yeah. F, F word wasn't every sentence like it is. And and the other thing is, and you guys know this, they didn't talk about like going to war and stuff like that. They just yeah. didn't talk about it. I mean, if you ask some questions, yeah. but, you know. My father was all over Europe, and I never heard him tell a single war story, and don't try to ask him one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, what else was common to them is you always wore a a suit with a hat with an overcoat you know you know what i mean yeah, they had a uniform people dressed, people they, dressed, had a, dressed. they had a uniform that's right and yeah. that's the way i saw him go to work every day it was like uh, out of mad men yeah yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> they would come home. They would come home, cut the grass in like a button-down shirt, nice shirt, slacks. Hey, button downs, always yeah. button downs. Yeah. My dad yeah. always wore button down all the time. Even yeah, even working in the yard, he's a button-down shirt, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think people just cared more back then about their neighbor and what other people mm -hmm. thought. Now everybody throws their hands up and goes, "You don't know me. I don't know you." Shit, you know, it's just every man for himself. It seems like now they're abided by a, a great motto which i try to adopt today and my father i can hear him tell me he said you know if you want to keep your friends don't discuss politics sex or religion yeah that's right and i'm like hey that works for me let's talk some training yeah that's exactly right we can all agree on yeah i don't need to just politics sex or religion and here was another one would be uh, oh uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still yeah, that's a good thing. There you go. Okay. Well, yeah. But but Jim, um, your dad used to sit down with you and do like auto visualization yeah. things and exercises yeah. like that, like before a football game or something, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. So my dad taught sports psych at uh, University of Maryland for forty years. They just had their sixty-sixth wedding anniversary. He and my mother. Yeah. Cool. Um, I know, man. It's crazy, right? I made it my first marriage. I made it like a two years. <laughs> um, but yeah so he's taught sports psych. he's a huge believer in visualization huge man so the night before a game man i'd be like a hundred pound football or 80 pound football and he'd lay in the bed next to me he'd say all right you know i want you to picture your hand down in your three-point stance feel the grass feel the dirt yeah you know, it's, it's, you know and then we'd go through the whole play and all that stuff it was really i didn't know how, how i thought it was cool but i didn't know Man, we're really ahead of the curve on that one, man. He was he was uh, way ahead of his time, and I didn't know how special that was. Was but he, he tied uh, in with the Russians somehow? <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, that, the, the smart the smart people were onto that. He was pretty, onto it pretty pretty yeah. quick. We were onto yeah. it pretty quick. I told you I was using it from the time I was fourteen. Yeah, and and it just mm -hmm. made such a huge difference. You know, there's a movement now to discredit it, and all I know yeah, is it know. works. It works. And replace it with what? You know, that's the exactly. Point. Yeah, don't picture any success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, what is it? Give me a better alternative, and right. I'll be the first to steal it. Like any good jazz musician. Yeah. Like, show me a, a great lift, and it's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, Jim, how how supportive was your dad of your uh, weightlifting and all that? Was he behind you 100? percent Sounds like he was. A million per percent in football. Yeah. He, he never liked weightlifting. He never. He, my dad's a guy who never wants – he didn't want to train. He wanted to compete. Yeah. So, like, when everybody would go to the gym, my dad would go play tennis or whatever. He'd be like, this is – why am I doing this? Let's go play. So, you know, and I love the training, and I love competing, but the competition was his thing. And then – now, remember, he was born in 1933, so weightlifting was for weirdos and made you slow and muscle down. Now, he's changed his mind, of course, since then. But uh, when I first wanted to start lifting, he was like, nope. You know, and I snuck around and started lifting <laughs> – so um, eventually, wow. eventually, the football thing, he was, man, he, you know, a million percent. But then, right. you know, he, he thought it was good. I was competing. He's probably worried I was going to mess my back up or something like that, you know, with the lifting. Um, but, you know, a lot of old school ideas about that stuff, um, especially about the bodybuilding stuff. I remember he did come to my, my show, my Teenage DC show. But he thought that was pretty, pretty weird up there with a Speedo on. And, you know, man, that's that generation. And it is weird. It is weird. That's why I don't think about it too much. That's right. It is. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Again, he's he's uh, born in 1933. Yeah. So that was the. But but on the other hand, my grandfather was now he was kind of my mentor. My dad was was just like yours, Jim. He wasn't into weightlifting. He said it was for wusses and weirdos and stuff like that too. But my my grandfather, he gave me. He had all these uh, York, all these uh, old, old York training booklets. Um, he had one of those old uh, steel welded barbells out on the side of the yard. You know, it had the bi- two big cannonballs on the side and it was all welded yeah. together. One of those old style things. And it, it sat outside for years. And I know my friends and I would go around the, the side and, and lift it and, and see who was the strongest and, and do all that. And uh, he always wanted to take me to the gym. When he died, I was 17. But before that, he would always say, uh, he would say, son, you got to you got to get to the gym. One of these days you got to get to the he said, you are pigeon toed. And my grandmother used to make comments that I was pigeon toed. They say, straighten your feet out. And my grandfather would go, oh, that's OK. When he starts squatting, it'll straighten that out. All and, right. he, and he was right. But I think he was a big influence to me growing up and he was my mentor with that and a whole bunch of other stuff but grandparents are incredible people um jp you only started squatting six months ago when ryan chow told you to yeah ryan chow's your mentor jp (laughs) well (laughs) yeah uh well i gotta be ryan chow no i've been squatting since uh you know i started early like you guys did did it straighten your did it straighten you out yeah, he was right. Really? It's straightened. Yeah. I, I wasn't pigeon-toed anymore. <laughs> so for anybody out there that's pigeon-toed. Did you consciously alter no. your feet? Or just, no. Oh, that's it's cool. just, you know, I wasn't severely pigeon-toed, but they would go in and they would make comments, not making fun, just saying, hey, straighten hey, your feet out. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know if that was it or you just finished growing and it straightened itself out. I don't know. I think it was the squatting. Probably the squatting. Probably, you know, magical squat. But um, you, you know, know and, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, there was there, there was there was other stuff too. I I remember uh, it's Marty just down the road from you. Could talk in high school. We had a, a vice principal that was into lifting, and he was real cool. I can't remember his name. I think it's Mr. Cook or something. Uh, he used to come in the weight room with us and we would have a, have a bench press contest with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of got me going and yeah. uh, just... Do bad self, Mr. Kirk. Yeah, so uh, just little things like that. It, it makes a big impact on a kid that age, you know, when you have these, these positive, influential people. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I'm working with a 14 year old boy right now. This this kid sent me a letter out of the blue, right? Yeah. But it was well written. Yeah. And it was very specific. And it was the tone was, Mr. Gallagher, I am skinny and underweight, and I am looking to make myself into a muscled up individual. And I would like your help. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, and his parents were like, all right, well, make sure he's not a sexual weirdo. So other than that, go ahead. But we're not giving him, no, you know, I'm not going to. 
This sounds just like the Chuck Miller story. I, I, I'm not going to charge a 14-year-old. So, so we're doing this for free. So I talk to him once a week and keep him going. Well, in, in oh, he, and he's very detailed. He sends me yeah, week nine. And, you know, and here we go. And it's got all this written stuff. Plus, we do these YouTube videos. And I don't know. I think in week nine, he's up. Um, he started at, I don't know, 139. Now he's 151 pounds. And he, oh, wow bench and 150 for reps and squat you know and ass on heels squatting 185 and everyone at school is going what's going on with you and it's just like uh well i guess i'm like a mentor that just dropped out of the sky <laughs> yeah. well you know marty you've done this uh, 100 he thinks, he thinks it's magic and i'm like kid you gotta well, put on, i said you gotta put on a pound a week he said yes it's no it's yeah he's so lucky. yeah but the, you, you do you realize though that you've done this this is this is your normal thing that you do with people but you've done this a hundred or thousands of times oh, or whatever yeah. but so so it's like whatever to you but to this kid, you're you're profoundly changing, maybe altering the uh, the path in which he takes in life. You're having a huge impact. I don't know if you ever think about that, but uh, no, because I don't. That that's not. That's not, too. You don't want to think about it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to think about it. But it, uh, but it, it's because again, you know, you catch these boys at puberty. Yeah, and you throw in some weight training, and and yeah. all of a sudden, and oh, and his total training time for a week, and and it's the four lifts plus tomorrow work. He's getting all of it done in less than an hour and a half. Yeah, his confidence that's his total, that's total, total weekly commitment. And sometimes he does it two sessions, sometimes he does it four, sometimes he does it one because he's on vacation or something, right? But he gets the work done and he makes his lifts every week every week every week because we just take these small jumps and we've been very conservative and again when you drill them on these really strict techniques it makes everybody very weak yeah right initially you're so weak in these techniques because no one no one gets into these positions right. so you know you you start off very low but you make progress it's just but he doesn't know any better anyway because exactly. he's never lifted and those well, are the well, best he, people to train he, he's lifted a little bit but you know like like hit and miss out of magazines and what his friends tell him right so you kind of put together a hodgepodge of what you think is correct lifting but i just come in the guide right look here we go kid and it's also interesting that i have without ever having met this kid he is now exhibiting perfect lifting techniques and now we're nine weeks down the road yeah yeah and it's not hard it really isn't but again i at some point in your life you shift from having mentors to being a mentor right and, and yes you're, when you first have somebody say man i really appreciate the help when you know you know when you got me started and all that you're like oh i was just doing that man to help you i just like helping people then but it makes a difference and you don't realize and you also don't realize you know, you could go the other way that people, there are bad coaches out there. They're bad, you know, guys who point kids in the wrong way and get them hurt. So it's a huge responsibility. Um, you're always so thankful. We had a kid at Penn uh, one time. He was a mess, man, drank too much. And uh, I couldn't get him to do anything in the weight room, but I just kept after his ass for four years. And a couple of years later, I got this, I <laughs> got this email. Like Coach Steele, I just want to apologize for being such a P word. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and not listening to you like I should have, but I've been lifting now and I, I can't believe how good I feel and like, you know, all this stuff. And now yeah. I didn't help him, you know, it didn't help him then in the, in when he was playing, but it made some kind of difference. Right. As he got older and yeah, started to realize what I was pushing on him, but that stuff is so rewarding. Um, and it's a little embarrassing because you're like, no, no, I'm supposed to be getting mentored by somebody, you know, it's like, when you realize but you guys, you guys are now the mentors and yeah. I, it's very commendable for you guys to have done what you've done. And now, especially the story that Marty just told, take your time to mentor some kid. You're changing his life. I mean, what a cool thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I know Marty doesn't think of it like that. It's just probably another Frankenstein science exactly. experiment on this exactly. kid. <laughs> but, exactly. but, but that kid That's is crazy. never going to forget this. <laughs> I got a, I got an army of a dudes out there swear allegiance to me. <laughs> and, and I think that's important. That's an important statement. Those who have been mentored and become and, yeah. and get into the position later on of being, having the opportunity to be a mentor to somebody, anybody, even if it's just one person or, or one kid or whatever, do it yeah. because that you know, is, that is sometimes the best thing that ever happens to somebody. I agree. And, and the iron subculture is one that is giving, you know, the, you you rarely have somebody who you ask a programming question about or a technique pro, uh, question. And they say, you know, get out of here, kid. I mean, if you act earnestly, like you want to learn, yeah, very few, you know, guys on the on the elite level that will not help you, you know, right. It's a subculture that that that's what it lives on that passing down of information. Mm -hmm. you know? But you you've got to be you got to be open minded. You can't come up to a guy of a caliber of you guys and go, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. You got to be we got, we got a lot of guys like that. dude. Yeah. but OK, yeah. how much how much time do you spend with those guys? Oh, no, it's done huh. right then. Huh. Done. Yeah. That's see, done. my old thing is good enough for the Navy SEALs, but not good enough for you. <laughs> right. Well, or my position is it's just it's our system. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't. I don't care whether you approve of it or not, right. and I'm certainly right. not interested in like cross comparing. Or trying to I'm convince just, somebody. This is yeah, or trying to convince. I don't care. This is just we're just sharing with you the tenets and protocols and commandments of our system, whether you relate to it or not. I could care less. Right. And there's no and wavering this, with you guys. Point, well, not a, not after sixty years of exactly. Having, your whole life pointed in the same direction. Yep. That's and that's what's so great about talking with you guys because there's no gray areas, there's no questions. You guys know exactly where where you are now, where you need to be, what you got to do to get there and it's 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 just a, it's a recipe that yeah, you've it's had it's a recipe. It's a recipe that you've got written down in uh, in the cookbook that your grandmother passed down, or whatever. Yep. You know, it, and you don't waver from that. You don't stray because if you do, it's going to f it all up. You it's, you know exactly what to do. It's cause and effect in biology. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not. That's why I have a term. Chuck gets mad at me because I have a, a a problem with the term hard gainer. To me, when you say, well, I'm yeah. just saying, to me, when yeah. you say hard gainer, that infers that there's something def 
efficient about you yeah, it gives you an as, a, as, a, as a human as a human that you yeah. have some sort of a yeah. deficiency and i don't buy into that i, I think that we are all have a, you know an equal ability moving forward assuming that you're not you know i mean legitimately right challenged but no the whole idea of no you know, come on man so but anyway i didn't mean to Shit, it's hard to gain anything, man. It's hard to gain muscle for everybody. Well, was that like us easy gainers? I don't know. Yes, I don't know what I don't. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's we're, right. We're the. We should have an easy gainer magazine. Easy gainers. You know, I didn't. We were talking about the lineage, um, and then I saw how the lineage of the Cassidy lineage came into my life was when I was decided I was going to start powerlifting one day, and I. I squatted 600. That was a huge goal of mine. And that's then I, good one. that's good, buddy. And then I got uh, a video of Kirk. I was living in Florida, coaching high school. And he did 800 for five with a belt, just a belt or something like that. And I'm sorry, I was like, I am weak as hell. So I was determined to get in touch with this guy. I've always done that. Like, if I don't care. I'll find somebody, you know, I'll find the guy. And so I get him to come down and give a seminar to the football team where I was coaching, stays in my house. We find out that we played against each other in high school. We're the same area in Maryland, all that stuff. We hit it off, but all his techniques were passed down from Marty who was passed down from Cassidy. Yep. You know, it was all that lineage and that's how I became part of it. And Middleton was in there too, because Middleton picked up a lot of his techniques from Robert Skamansky. Yeah, it's like trained, this huge tree, he man. Trained, that, yeah. He trained with in Detroit because Middleton was originally from Detroit. He trained with the Skamansky brothers. And so they, they were, rugged trainers and hard trainers but they were you know strict trainers so from skamansky to middleton to cassidy to to me to dimaduck to yeah uh, chalet down to kirk and then down down out from there kirk is a great mentor well and his you know what you know he, he so he was my first powerlifting mentor as far as technique and all that stuff and then you know rob wagner came along later too uh with program and stuff but what I learned from Kirk was that every single thing matters. And I was coaching football at the time, and it's the same thing I used to preach. You know, it's everything from the time you get into the huddle to, you know, now you're, going, you're approaching the line of scrimmage. Everything is planned out. Everything has to stay the same. Everything has to be perfect. And your and technique remember, can always be improved. I remember we were at a meet, and somebody, Kirk said, what's your rack height to somebody? He was helping out, and they were like, I, I never even thought about it. He went crazy. Talking yeah. about rack yeah. for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then just when we were staying together, of course, we went right to the strip joint when it got off the plane. But after that, <laughs> we were talking. We did right to it. Right to it. <laughs> it was like a 10-minute drive. I was like, let's stop at teasers. Anyway, so we talked about that. And he and what I realized was, oh, I need to do the same thing I'm preaching in football and to, and put it towards the power lifts that you know, degree of detail and uh, yeah it's seriously sir when you talk to him about that stuff it's like talking to a piano master or, yes. or somebody yes. who's crazy crazy smart in their field man it's yes. really cool yeah really and, cool and also kirk is a master of programming right if you want him to set up a schedule for you, he's yes, very, yes. very realistic. Very, he's very surprisingly, despite having a very, uh, he has a great stage presence. He has a great, 
exuberant personality on stage, but his training and planning are extremely methodical, right. and extremely so important. intellectual and extremely well thought out. And also he has a, a despite having a, like a braggadocious stage presence, his own, like his self assessment yeah. is extremely conservative. I, I was, I'm writing that in the article for next week. And we sat on his couch in Waldorf and went over his tapes and he critiqued himself the whole time. I mean, he's squatting 900 for two, 950 the next, and all this. And he's like, see, I was a little forward right there. See how I had to adjust. You know, I got to do better next time. He filmed all those top lifts. I remember I said, uh, who's that guy who's always in the picture, man? Who's always spotting you? And he was like, that's Marty. And I was like, does he know what he's talking about? And he said, Marty's legit. Can you, you can hear him saying it, right? You can see his face when he's saying it real serious. And I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, but that's not, that's the first time I ever saw Marty in those videos. Uh, yeah, we had it all planned out. Every yeah. session, every rep. Uh, and again, uh, watch Kirk and his warm-ups. Right, As the way he, he approaches 135 like it's right. a thousand. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was benching the other day and I told this story. My, one of my sons was like, man, every rep looks the same. And besides the fact that I've been doing it forever, that's what I learned from him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, okay, we're just going to do it this way today. No, do the right way. And, and you do don't it do it. And you don't do it fast and sloppy with 135 because you can. Right. And then, and then as normal people do, they, their technique grinds down as they get heavier. Right. And there's no consistency from the first set to the top set, every set, the technique is different. Generally, you shorten rep stroke or sloppier reps or something. So with Karwaski, every rep of every set is a cookie cutter image. And it's a, it's yeah. a tight coiled negative followed by a compensatory acceleration exploded concentric. Yeah. And you know, when I, went to Penn and Rob Wagner was my boss. The parallels between Kirk's philosophy, your philosophy, uh, are stronger than, than the differences. So for instance, uh, you know, the squat speed, Rob Wagner and you guys are different, but, but the other stuff, the bench, the deadlift and the general philosophy is, is the same, you know, and, and it sort of spans all the, all the great lifters, you know, even when I used to go and I would go with Wagner to the nationals and Dan Austin would lift, they're all talking the same stuff. Well, because the truth, there's yeah, a, and, there's and a because truth of techniques. There's a right, and and like you always say, these are the techniques that are, that work with the strongest athletes in the world. Because they're the most biomechanically efficient. Right, and that's that's why they work. And I would point out with Rob, and if he was here, I would tell him the same thing. Uh, yeah, well, your idiosyncrasies in the squat are completely related to the fact that you're the only guy in history that's ever squatted 800 pounds with a three inch stance width. <laughs> it was close, you, man. You, you laugh, but I mean, what was his stance width? Yeah, it was, it was real close. What, what was it? Was it not even six inches? Was it? It was probably six inches. Six mm-hmm. inches. Okay. I, I would offer that he is the only guy in history to squat 800 pounds with a 16 stance width, almost regardless of body weight. Deepish, IPF, 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 IPF. (laughs) yeah, weighing 198. Yeah, yeah, and then he did 777 at 181. 181, incredible, 
with a six-inch stance width. Which he'd come, us, JP, he'd come back to work and he'd have all these medals and I, and he'd have the gold in the squad all the time. Yeah. Gold. No kidding. From, yeah, from the yeah. world championships. He squad. I saw him do some crazy stuff in the gym, man. Uh, Strength wise, but after he tore his adductor from the bone, he was a lot more. Oh, but but oh, in the Ukraine, and he was like, I don't want them to mess with this here. I don't know what the you know the medical uh, help's going to be like, so he just dealt with it. Yeah, said, probably a good idea. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, he was strong man, and um, well, you know, it's well, funny. You, you would call Rob a mentor, right? Oh my God! Well, he, he was a genius in strength and conditioning. I, I'm writing this in the article, but. The, the, my first day, we get dumb training teams, first day at Penn, and he starts talking physiology, and I'm like, I don't know anything. I was, you know, <laughs> it's one of those conversations where you nod your head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know the hierarchy of this and the hierarchy of that and the body. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I got to start reading, man. So he would give me these books, and I would read these books, and he would stay up. He'd come back from the world championships and say, all right, man we're going to try this and the squat this, you know, for six weeks, or we're going to do this. Or this is what, you know, what's his name said about the deadlift technique, you know, and, and he would have all these ideas and, and uh, he was turned on to this Russian site for powerlifting and it was only in Russian and he would translate every word, right? We'd stay there and he'd translate every word and he'd be like, Oh, this is dips. We're supposed to do dips, you know? Um, so he was so passionate about strength. And, and it's a line, it's a thread that runs through all you guys. It's just this, it consumes you, man. I mean, I, you know, I wake up in the morning thinking about it. It's, uh-huh. it's, uh, it's your life. And it was his life. I learned a lot from him. Wow. From and, him. Way. and you were under him for how long? I was under him for three years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, getting back to Karwaski for a second, do you know who one of his uh, early influencers were, was? John Holmes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know his strength coach in high school was. was No, it was uh, Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk. Oh, he, from the show. He used to watch the TV show. Yeah. And it, how how fitting is that for Karwaski, though, right? At, at, at 242, Kirk looked better than Lou Ferrigno. But, 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 you know, if you remember, uh, Lou Ferrigno used to come in, he'd be all green. He'd, yeah. he'd come in with you know, a fierce attitude, throwing stuff around, and then he just disappeared. It kind of describes Karwaski's competitions. He'd come in, or storm in, raise hell, throw hey, some Mar- shit around, and then Mar- Or at the Purple Moose Saloon. It sounds like a same. Uh, well, uh, believe it or not, there are photos around that I have seen of Karwaski attending a Halloween party with no shirt, painted green, Oh, get us that. In, now, I, now you get it. All right, I'll get it. But and he's standing there big as life, and you know him. He's he's owning it, and he is uh, hulking out. Yeah. <laughs> and he is, I don't know who did it, it, but somebody, I, I, what, how, do you, how do you make yourself green? Do you, is that shoe polish? I don't know. I don't know how that happens. What's like paint? Makeup. Make I don't know. Makeup. Green don't know. makeup. Yeah. Somebody, somebody worked it out, and he's walk, he's walk, walking around in uh, October thirty first in Washington D.C. in uh, twenty nine degree weather with no shirt or shoes. I bet you could buy Hulk paint. Seriously, <laughs> he's, he, Marty, he was just walking around like that time at Ocean City. People were coming up to him and poking uh, him and stuff. That's that's my fantasy. 
<laughs> can you imagine? Yes, I can. Politicians well, coming up and poking and him and, and seeing and if, if he's Kirk, real. And if Kirk did it, if, and at his peak, if Kirk did it on Halloween, he would own it and people would faint. That should have been filmed. Yeah, just walking around, just walking to the Halloween party with no shirt, muscles galore, and painted every inch of your body green. Oh, and he had the like the fright wig one. <laughs> with a mustache. Monster Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk had a mustache. Oh boy. You know, one of our guests, <laughs> one of our guests, <laughs> a frequent guests, Rich Sulky, had a huge influence and still does huge influence on me. Rich trained me for yeah. besides yeah. the Mr. Teenage DC, he trained me for the other three or four bodybuilding shows that I did. And the, you know, and you can hear Rich on our podcast and this is the way he is in real life he's brutally honest yeah like, you know i remember one time i don't know why i've been drinking and raising hell for six months in a row and then i'd sort of start and stop and but i didn't really have a goal you know dieting and then i said all right i'm gonna call rich and get a diet i knew what he was gonna say and i was like what do you think rich you know three or four sweet potatoes a day and this and that and he's like yeah sure jimmy whatever you want and I'm like, what? This is, you know, because he was pissed off that I had started and stopped a couple of times. He's like, yeah, yeah, get back to me. And that pissed me off so much, man, that it made me, you know, all right, I'm starting today then. You know, Rich, you'd go, I remember uh, I took a girl to see him. This was years ago, man, 90s to, to judge, judge her physique. She'd been killing herself. And he said, oh, she's good. She has a nice beach body, Jimmy. I was like, body, she's got a, she got a show in three weeks. And he's like, she's Latinist and calfless. Okay, you're going to put her on the stage like that? He's like, let's bulk her up. We'll get her over 200. Oh, we had a whole plan by the time we left. You know? But, uh, three, you were going to get her over 200 pounds? In three weeks? No, 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 no. <laughs> no we didn't do the contest because he was like, she's not ready. And, oh, okay. and that's another thing. When a mentor tells you something, don't be the dumb guy who doesn't listen. Yeah. When he told me that, I was like, okay, he's got the experience. I know nothing. So... Um, this is what we're going to do. I bet he was a great mentor coming up because you've known him since you were a kid, right? Since I was in high school and I called like him in high school. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, and, and there's such a common thread with all these guys, real food over supplements yep. right away. Rich was like, I want you to eat London broil. I want you to drink, yep. you know, eat yogurt. I want you yep. to drink milk. I want you, you know, it's all this, stuff, you know, the same stuff that works back then works today. And, uh, I remember saying, what about the amino acid pills, Rich? Because, of course, Weeder was, he's like, oh, no, oh, no Jimmy. You don't need that crap, man. Oh, well, that's how he feels about whey protein. Like, he doesn't ever want you to have that. Are, you still, are you still throwing those dollar bills out the window? Yeah, JP, you remember when he said that? Well, yeah. I, listen, I get the whole thing about real food and, and eating, but I, I don't want to eat every two or three hours. I just don't. I'm sick of it. I want to yeah. just have a shake. Yeah. And uh, we're with you know, you. we're with you. Yeah. You know, we've we've been there, done that. Apparently, he still does it, though. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's the best thing, I guess. Yeah. But I remember, you know, every Friday waiting on Rich when I'll be training for a show, waiting on Rich's approval to have a cheat meal or not. Yeah. And that was a big time in my that was like Christmas. <laughs> got the what, what would the cheat meal be? A full a full dinner at the diner and a big dessert. And and he would say, have one or two, Jimmy. Have one or two desserts. <laughs> so I'd have a couple pieces of pie, you know. Uh yeah, yeah. but super a full dinner and super, yeah, but he wouldn't say you know, you'd always have to do your cardio no matter what. 
Right. You know, it's not an off day. You do your training, right. you do your cardio, and uh, you never stop doing that. And then he stops your team. And then I'd get that email. Okay, you're close now. No more cheat days. And that'd be five weeks out, usually. Um, yeah. 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 But you would suit. Yeah, he'd have you super compensate. Yes. Yes. And then a week, a week out, we'd start the car. Five you days. Have to, you have to earn that. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's looking over your shoulder every week. I remember when I was little asking him, Rich, heavyweights and low reps or lighter weights and high reps? And he said, heavyweights and high reps, Jimmy. (laughs) That's what (laughs) you do. And he squatted like, he squatted (laughs) like flats. He did duck squats, man, because that's what Jeff King did up in New England. Right. So so his heels were almost together. Yeah. Um, Like Wagner. Yeah, just like Wagner. Yeah, Rich squatted just like that. He all was fine, all fine, yeah. all fine. So Rich, a lot, of, like, lot of, a lot of knee movement, though. a lot of knee, a lot of knee travel. That's true. The, the Rich was was like a celebrity if you were a bodybuilding guy in that area. And I remember one of my friends telling me stories about Rich at the gym, right? And uh, he said, "Man, he smelled he smelled so bad. He and his training partner never washed their. They wore these big baggy sweatshirts, you know, and they never washed it." But, it, you know, he would tell me stories about him squatting 485 for 10, you know, uh, all this. I would use all this stuff as, as motivation. Yeah, you know? and, they're, and they're training two hours a day, six days a week. And the forearms. His, I remember seeing – remember those IZOD shirts? Yep. Yeah. And he used to walk around, and he'd have those forearms sticking out. And I was like, one day, man, one day. Because <laughs> forearms yeah. – I always loved the – that you know, forearms, big calves. You know, that you could see those muscles all the time. Right. Know? Yep, yep, yep. And they usually go together, as we've mentioned before. If you look at Bill Pearl, yeah. great forms, great calves. You look at the Mentor Brothers, great forms, yes. great calves. Uh, Rich, do I assume he had good calves? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Remember. Yeah. And they usually, because they're both uh, dense, dense muscle tissue. You think, this is a really off topic, but real quick. If you don't use straps long enough on uh, assistance work, like heavy one-arm rows, you think eventually your grip will almost get close enough that uh to the highest weight you can use with straps uh i think it depends on your the guy and the hands yeah if you have hands like like mark chalet or or gillingham i think yeah but if you have hands like kirk no no yeah yeah well i mean there's a lot of people who you know are like that They, they just don't have you know, they just don't have the big hands. And yeah. I notice sometimes I start to use those straps when I don't need them. I'm like, throw those things away, you big wussy. I, 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 I like straps because I can turn a single into a triple, a triple yeah. into a five, a five into an eight. Yeah, eight nothing wrong with it once in a while, sure. No, I wear them all the time. Every time I do back work, I, I use straps because yeah. I can get extra reps, period. No matter what I'm doing, if I conk out without straps, if I have straps on, I'm going to get two more reps. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, I just mean when I'm when I use them as a crutch instead of using them for that top set. That's that's what I got. I never lost a deadlift in competition because of my grip. I always told myself, now listen, if you start losing, losing your grip, right? Yeah. Then you got to start doing some direct grip work. But Marty, you've got articles on this. We've posted articles on this very subject. Anyway, I was just. But Jim, I, I want to say this because we're we're almost done here. Uh, I gotta say that Marty has been a tremendous mentor to both you and I. Yeah, he's in the article too. You know, yeah. 
Well, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, you know, I mean, look, and 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 Marty has opened up a lot of opportunities to me personally, and I, you know. By the way, thank you for that, Marnie. I probably don't tell you enough, but uh, getting to see both of you guys, and both of you guys are, are actually mentors to me, uh, but getting to see you guys in action down in Virginia Beach and, and training those guys, I mean, training the best in the world, I mean, that was so impactful and seeing, you know, you dis, dis, you know t- coach these and teach these uh, techniques to these guys, um, it was you know, it was one of the highlights that uh, one of my biggest highlights, I think. Good. Uh, but just in general, you know, getting to read and edit all of your articles and things like that. I have learned so much that I apply to my own lifting now, especially, you know, I'm about to hit 50 in a couple of months and uh, things change during, during, you know, from the time that I started at 14 to now, and you kind of have to alter things. And I've learned so much from you guys in that aspect. So just so you know, I don't know if I've ever said it, but both of you guys are important mentors to me. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Thank you for that, Bob. Yes. Yeah. You. You're welcome. Well, the best times Marty and I've had is well, where I learned the most is driving down the road for five hours. <laughs> you were trapped <laughs> or sitting on the deck of a hotel in Virginia beach, you know, looking at the ocean and talking about training and it's uh, you know, I always like to think of myself as very open-minded and, and to be able yeah. to, I, I always try to pick up something, but usually yeah. one of those trips, I pick up more than one or two things. It's usually, uh, yeah. it's usually very productive. Marty is like a full set. He, well, he's like Google, the Google of, of, of strength, yeah. you know, and the numbers that he remembers and things that he recalls, I mean, you just trip out over it. I mean, you know, what, what's his name? Bench pressed uh, back in 1965. It was so many kilograms and he squatted so many kilograms. Yeah, it's like crazy what you can remember. You but, know the downside of that? I don't, that? I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the name of the next street over. Yeah, me neither. Man. I know. It's weird how the mind I've works. Lived, I've lived here for 22 years and I... I I'm directionally challenged. My wife said, you got a kitchen. You yeah. get a giddy up, boy. Well, I know that. I've, I've ridden around with you. And yeah. You, you, hey. you, uh, That's right. I can remember was... the, the stripper, the name of the stripper that Kirk gave that dollar to that night in Charleston. But <laughs> I can't remember how to get out of my neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. All right. Vanilla. Vanilla was her name. All right. Listen. We can't get into all that. That's yeah, no. that's private information. <laughs> that's right. Uh, vanilla. She smelled. All right. Like she smelled like vanilla too. All right. Check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher, IamCompany.com. You can find his latest article, How to Build Big Ass Arms, Old School Style, on our website nice. now. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a good one. You want big arms? Go check that thing out. Uh, make sure to visit his Instagram at the Marty Gallagher. Thank you. And his wife, Stacy's website is functional-strength.org. Yep. And she's got a bunch of your uh, original articles on there, uh, just all kinds of training mm-hmm. stuff on there. It's a, it's a real, uh, and she's doing a lot of stuff with that website. She, and she's, she's doing it all fire. herself, too. She's on fire. She's doing a great job. Um, visit Iron Company if uh, 
you know, you, you're uh, looking for things for your garage gym, your uh, training studio, your, your full commercial gym. Check us out. We've got everything from strength equipment to uh, cardio to gym flooring. We've got everything, ironcompany.com. And uh, new Jim Steel article is coming up next next week it's on mentors so you're gonna yeah. oh yeah you're read about a, a lot of this not, stuff not again not just yeah we're gonna do it again in the article but <laughs> no yeah There's so we're gonna we're gonna post that uh your last one is on there right now it's old man strength which uh a lot of people relate to i mean i think more people commented on that one than anything but uh check that one out and then um check out his um his website, bossbarbell.com. That's B-A-S barbell.com for yeah. training, motivational stuff, all kinds yeah. of subjects. Yeah. And last, the last one is about that crappy gym when I went on vacation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So that's it, guys. That was great. Mentors. Very important. If anybody out there has a chance to be a mentor, do it. You'll change somebody's life forever. I promise. All right. All right. Thanks, Bye, guys. guys. Bye.